Do you have killer fashion sense? Throughout the ages, people have lived and died for various fashion trends in order to be drop-dead gorgeous. Join us as we discuss some tight trends. That'll make sense later. Death party! Is your style to die for? Well, in the Victorian era, it most definitely was. This era is well known for its macabre tone and decadent fashion, but did you know that the two are more intertwined than one might suspect? After the Industrial Revolution and everything was just covered in soot, people were crammed into cities and nostalgic for some nature in their lives. Victorians loved bold colors and patterns, but the chemistry that created our modern palette of paints and dyes hadn't been achieved yet. Nobody had been able to nail that lush green shade that plants have. So when this D-bag named Sheel came up with the recipe, naming it after himself no less, Sheel Green, he knew people would just be dying to get their hands on it. <laughs> it was the it color because before then nobody could get that shade of green. It was always yellowy or kind of brownish and it mm -hmm. just didn't look vibrant. Yeah, emerald. Yeah, so people freaked out and they knew that arsenic was poisonous because they used it to kill rats in their homes. Right. And some people probably knew that there was arsenic in the dye and maybe some didn't, but he knew. The guy that made it knew. Yeah. And um, he even joked about it in some of his letters with a friend. So, uh, f*** that guy. Super not cool dude. One thing to just be stupid about using chemicals and throwing them around and poisoning people, but he actually knew that it was f***ing poisonous. And so eventually people started catching on and they started realizing that they were poisoning themselves, but they just wanted that color. Like fashion was just such a thing that they would wear it anyway and poison themselves. One young girl whose job it was to dust the arsenic dye on handmade fake flowers was even said to have the most beautiful green eyes. Scratch that. The whites of her eyes were dyed green. Which, not that lessons haven't been learned here, but this sounds like a fashion trend whose time has come, don't you think? I'd probably do mine turquoise if it wasn't going to kill or blind me. I would dye everything turquoise. I'm sure you would. <laughs> I'm glad that the color green, Paris green, still exists to this day, and that it is not still laced with arsenic. Speaking of laced. Oh, that brings us to our next subject, awesome segue, Faye. <laughs> We're going to talk about corsets. So I think corsets have this reputation of being really lethal, and they're not. They're not the most lethal garment out there. We're going to talk about some that are a bit more lethal. There's some misconceptions about how tightly women were cinching their waists using corsets. The research that I came across made it sound like it was an average of a couple of inches smaller. Their waists were smaller than ours are now. Big surprise, they were shorter, smaller, slighter in all regards. And so were their waistlines. And... It would be something like going from a 22-inch waist to a 20-inch waist with a laced corset. But the other thing is, 
we know that they weren't lacing them too tightly because they would be used for many years and they were cared for. You can tell that corsets were passed down because they would have silk and then women who were in lower classes couldn't afford silk. So when they ended up getting the corset, it would have like the remnants of some silk that had worn out or whatever. And then they would attach lace and like patch them and repair them. So that's just further indicates that they didn't like, you know, use and abuse them to the point where they were falling apart and like cinching their waist tiny. I watched a show a few years ago and they were talking about like the Guinness world record holder for waist, smallest waistline. It was this woman who goes by Spook and she's like a 14 inch waist or something insane. Yikes. Yeah. And if you see her x-ray, it's just like... So she doesn't eat bagels. Uh, probably not very often. So Victorian era women cinching their waists really tight with corsets might be a bit of a fallacy. There was one instance where a woman died as a result of wearing a corset. It was kind of a freak accident. Somehow the metal from the corset sort of just sort of escaped its confines and lodged itself in a body part that you don't want metal. Uh, yeah. I won't get any more graphic into the description. It's pretty gross. But let's just say it was definitely the corset that was to blame for her death. Right. I think a lot of the time in that era, they couldn't really tell what had killed someone because people were lacing their corsets really tight and they would faint but they would also be in a room that had arsenic in the wallpaper that was off-gassing or they'd right. come into contact with it and they were taking all kinds of like radium pills and who knows what so yeah and forensics were maybe not at the top of their I mean we're talking about a, an era when it was still like Oh, do you have a bit of the bad blood? Let's throw some leeches on you and just hope that that works. I really want one of those leech jars. Ugh. Not with the leeches in it, just the jar. I do not. I don't want that. I'm very happy that I do not have one of those. So since Victorian era women were only corseting their waists down a couple of inches smaller than what they would have had without a corset, it does make it a little harder to breathe. It does have maybe an effect on the internal organs um there's not a huge consensus on this from the research that i saw because medicine wasn't real great back then and everyone was wearing a corset so it was kind of hard to compare it against a control group that wasn't wearing a corset mm -hmm. there it does seem to be a consensus on the fact that it deformed the ribs and spine of the wearer which right. stands to reason so you would end up with this S shape on your bottom ribs, which is normally the ribs are a nice C shape, but the corset squeezes them in and then they have nowhere to bend, but kind of like back into yourself, like back towards your spine. Ooh. So that gives you that little S hook. Um, if, in case you needed that graphic visualization. That's interesting because I've read so much over the years about women's organs being misplaced mm -hmm. by corsets and they have all these pictures of women, you know, after their death and everything's squished into awful places where it's not supposed to live and it looks really terrible but thinking about it in light of what you were just referencing, like when women get pregnant, the same thing happens. Their organs mm. get all pushed into wherever else they fit because the baby's there. Yeah. And 
that happens all the time. And so yeah, it's interesting to think that everything that I'd heard about corsets being, you know, so deadly or so like terrible for a person's body is debatable. They might not have been com- complete skeletons. It might have just been like mm. a rib cage. Mm-hmm. Now, I did come across some interesting work by anthropologist by the name of Rebecca Gibson, who works at American University. Rebecca Gibson contends that corset wearers actually lived longer lives. What? I know. So she found this out after studying over 70 skeletons. I think it was back in 2016 was the article date on the thing that I read. First of all, dream job. Spending hours and hours of research with dusty old skeletons from hundreds of years ago, like... That's what you do with your day. You clock in, hey, give me some bones, please. I'd like to spend the next eight hours with them. Thanks. But then I also wonder, like, you know how you have to finish up your work? You don't want to leave your workstation all a mess if you're going to leave and then come back. So, like, when she clocks out for lunch or whatever, she has to go get a panini. And then what happens with the skeletons? Do you just pack them up and take them with you to Panera and sit it across the table like it's your date oh your skelly buddy and then you could get they've got those things now where you get like half a sandwich and half a sandwich (laughs) oh and you could share and you could like lady and the tramp across the table (laughs) it's just a rib cage though with a sandwich shoved between the ribs just a little skella buddy to hang out with and yeah cram sandwiches into everyone needs a cinched rib cage full of sandwiches across the table from <laughs> that is not lunch. disrespectful to the dead at all you don't know maybe she liked sandwiches i mean if my rib cage was full of sandwiches yeah i wouldn't mind if someone jammed my rib cage full of sandwiches right now there are worse things you'd still be intact i mean your skeleton is intact enough to be filled with sandwiches wait hashtag blessed It's just a ribcage full of sandwiches with a bumper Ugh. sticker that says hashtag blessed across it. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe, maybe that is not part of the protocol. Maybe you have to leave the skeletons behind because, you know, they're ancient and like priceless mm-hmm. or whatever. So let's say that the bones have to stay at the museum while you go to Panera. All right. Sure. Do you lock up the vaults that they most assuredly reside in when you go? If so, do you use an old skeleton key for the vault? I'd like to think so. However, skeleton keys aren't terribly secure. Mm. It's 2020. I imagine you have to, like, badge in to the vault at a minimum. Maybe there's, like, a retina scanner. I don't know. Mm. If there was a retina scanner, that would keep the skeletons from getting out. Yes. I've seen enough horror movies to know that that's the real threat that we should be worrying about. And then they open the jaw really wide and then all the like Ah! bats or whatever come flying out. Yeah. Ghost bats? Ghost bats. No, they don't because they're just rib cages full of sandwiches. Oh, right. Ghost sandwiches come flying out. I do, however, really like the visual of a tastefully worn-in attache case full of bones that you're just like carting around town when you're waiting for your tuna melt to get called out at Panera. I mean, 
do you have to have a job studying skeletons to carry around oh, a case full of bones? This is true. Let's just make that like a new trend. Forget arsenic green. Right. Just carrying around suitcases full of bones. Who needs fashion? I mean, doesn't everyone already? Is it just me? When you say full. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's full. Full of bones and sandwiches. Two <sighs> great tastes that taste great together. <laughs> oh, I sometimes say that sometimes. Subway, reach out. <laughs> Ew, no. What's his name? Was it their last uh, mascot or whatever? Was it Creep? Oh, yeah. Spokesperson. Well, are you saying we're not creeps? Mm, not like that. We're the good kind of creeps. Right. The kind that carry around attache cases full yeah. of skeleton bones and sandwiches. We're like the fun, party-loving creeps, not the, you know, destroying children's innocence creeps. Right. So, Quiznos? <laughs> <laughs> so, I was reading this article that Rebecca Gibson wrote about her studying of 17 to 1900s era skeletons of women who wore corsets and she goes on to say in order to construct a more complete picture of the life of a corseted woman the researcher looked at both skeletal remains and corsets while a great deal of literature has been amassed on women's lives in england and france from 1700 to 1900 ce documenting both their own words and the words of others no modern work examines the physical effects of corsetry on the ribs and vertebrae, nor correlates those effects with mean age at death. So basically Gibson makes a case in her research that of previously reported illnesses or symptoms associated with frequent use of a corset, there is no way to conclusively link the corset to those particular symptoms. Hmm. People were just like real sickly and back then. Right. And how do you know that the corset is the reason? Right. Because everything was poisonous then, pretty much. Kind of. And they were just eating all of it. All the poison. Yeah. I'm wondering, I mean, I'm sure she's more on top of her shit than I am, but Rebecca, DM me. I have a question. Um, so the bones that she was looking at, do we know what class level these women were because I would expect that maybe more affluent citizens would have access to nicer corsets would corset tighter because they were a higher class of woman would be trying to keep pace with the modern status and so she would be more involved in fashion she would have less to do around the home and so she might corset tighter than say your average workaday woman who might corset in a little bit but still had to like bend over and do the wash and take care of children and things like that so we're gonna get into this with foot binding but yeah ooh okay so yeah more affluent citizens might have lived longer because they had access to better food or better medicine or any number of things you know more warmth in the home less likely to set themselves on fire while they were tending to tasks and so i wonder if they know who these women were that she was studying mm -hmm. because that could affect how long they were able to live right i'm just thinking like rebecca gibson has a degree in anthropology how many anthropological degrees do you have Faye? oh like i think it's six or seven That's, maybe yeah you've, you've been to anthropology school six lost, or seven yeah i lost track <laughs> Oh, okay. That's pretty impressive. I didn't know that about you. 
I lost track. And that's just the anthropology <laughs> degrees. Don't right, get me right. started on all the other ones. That's definitely what people, students of long-term <laughs> curriculum who've dedicated much of their life to studies, courses of study, say. Right. I just have so many degrees I lost track. Yeah. I'm yeah. also like thousands of years old. That's where I spent all of my time, my yeah. many lifespans. It does school. get hard to remember the first few hundred. Damn, corsets. Damn, corsets. I kind of want to wear one now, though, because she said that um, this anthropologist is like, women that wore them actually live longer. <laughs> but then if you can't, if you can't connect, like, faintness or palsy or whatever the then how can you say that corset wearers live longer lives? I don't know. I mean, there's just... Well, if the implication is that corset wearers lived longer lives, if you layered up, like, five or six corsets, could you live for a super long time? Ooh. Like, hundreds of years. Mm -hmm. Just never die. Well, we don't know, because no one's tried it. We should try it. Someone needs to try it. I'll write a paper on it for my... Eighth, what did I say I had? Degree? You lost track. That's how many you had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think it's eight. So at this point, you might be thinking, surely women weren't the only ones suffering through painful or lethal fashion trends. Well, I can assure you that you are correct. I knew it. Men have also fallen victim to questionable fashion inventions over the years. Finally, equality among the sexes. Mmm, something like that. I'll take what I can get. <laughs> In the 19th century, a new invention gave men the luxury of not having to change their shirt every day. On the upside, their wives had less laundry to do. This invention was a detachable collar. Pretty cutting-edge stuff, you could say. Oh, nobody got cut by it. Otherwise, I was like, oh, pun. <laughs> <laughs> this invention was a detachable collar, but it became known as uh, Vatermorder. Let's just say yeah. it's pronounced that way, which is German for father killer. So catchy. These collars were so unyieldingly stiff that they could cut off the wearer's circulation and restrict proper functioning of the windpipe. Ooh. So you can imagine this was an especially lethal combination when mixed with alcohol. Men would have a, a little nightcap, maybe two and then fall asleep to never awaken again after their collar asphyxiated them to death. Maybe alcohol was half of the culprit here, but wrapping soft necks in iron-like collars did not do them any favors. On the upside, their wives had less laundry to do. Oh! oh. Forever. For the long term. So, alcohol was not required to murder a collar wearer. However, as one reported death resulted after an attack of indigestion, which mm. caused some neck swelling. And again, the wearer was choked to death. Yikes. Suddenly, my v-neck feels a little constricting. <laughs> if your obituary ends up saying you were strangled in your v-neck, I'm going to laugh at you. Sorry in advance. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, that's all fair. Stiff collars and corsets are going to sound like the snuggly embrace of a death koala compared to this next trend. Ooh, tying it all back together. This garment was often used in conjunction with a corset, as it, too, 
artificially altered women's silhouettes. I'm speaking, of course, about the ring, 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 <laughs> crinoline. <laughs> yeah, fucking hoop skirts. They have that narrow waist that flares out more the closer to the floor it gets until it ends in a giant death circle at the bottom. Right, right. Because as we all know, the circle is the most nefarious and evil of all shapes. It is? Where do you find pentagrams? Oh. Inside a circle. Right. Where do you sit when conducting satanic spells? On the floor? Inside a circle. <gasps> it's true. Where do you find fast food sandwiches? Easily the most malignant and evil of all foods on the planet. What? Inside rib cages? Inside, well, yeah. But also, <laughs> inside buns shaped like circles. Oh my God. Ah! <laughs> evil is all around us. Ah, around. around. <laughs> I want someone to make the argument that the circle is not the most evil shape now. I mean, I'm convinced now. That's all you should need to know. <laughs> According to Fierce History, which is a book that I somewhat read, uh, the crinoline came out around 1856. And I'm talking about a, because crinolines come in a lot of variations, right, but this right. is a steel cage crinoline, like... Mm when you go to the circus and they have a bunch of motorcycle riders going around in a steel cage ball? Yes. Yeah, so picture that. But instead of a bunch of motorcycles underneath, it's like your bloomers. <laughs> going around and around? Well, no. The, I mean, the, I guess it depends. <laughs> I mean, what goes on under there is your business, frankly. But Yeah, so it's your bloomers and your getaway sticks. Now, if this... <laughs> Look at the getaway sticks on that tomato. Oh my gosh. Um, now, if steel cage undergarments sound uncomfortable, not to worry. Oh, good. A crinoline could also be made with whalebone, hmm. cane, or, and I'd really like help envisioning this technology in the 1860s, inflatable rubber. Keep talking. <laughs> so. <laughs> this all sounds comfy as hell. <laughs> The inflatable rubber, is that like a bicycle tire? Were bike tires even made of rubber back then? I kind of went off on a tangent on this one, and I was like, let me just do an internet search about when the bike tire was invented because they were made out of wood at one point. So rubber tires for bicycles were invented in the 1870s or 80s. So I'm guessing that like the inflatable rubber crinoline ones were around that same time, but hey, I would love to find out for sure. So if you ever come across that information, send deathpartypodcast at gmail.com an email. That is just bizarre. I had never heard of that before. Inflatable rubber? How does that even work? Yeah, like there's like a little valve on it or is it just a series of bike tires getting bigger and bigger? Oh. Or is it one big bike tire? <laughs> You're just rolling around on a big bike tire under there. <laughs> like, that's where the phrase skid marks comes from, because you just had, like, bike tire marks on your legs. <laughs> oh, that's better than what I was imagining. <laughs> uh, yeah, it does beat the alternative. It's the, it's the most ladylike of all skid marks. <laughs>
I mean, I don't even know what skid marks are because I'm such a f***ing lady. <laughs> oh, God. I love talking about tires. <laughs> <laughs> we ask probing questions here at Death Party. <laughs> <laughs> probing the depths of your skid marks. Oh. <laughs> oh, man, we went on such a skid mark tangent. I did not see that one coming. Okay. <clears throat> You've got them. We want them. <laughs> <laughs> show us your skid mark photos at death party podcast on instagram please don't to be a hundred percent clear we were talking about skid marks from tires rubber tires tires that hit the road tires no other interpretation of the word tires please right. and thank you tires does not mean your butt cheeks no Faye. don't even put that <laughs> Don't even give that possibility any light. Cut that part out. Okay. Cut that skid mark out. <laughs> Just replace the rest of this episode with the word skid marks, please. Every noun. Hello, and welcome to our podcast about skid marks. <laughs> welcome to our skid marks about skid marks. Catch us in part two of this episode where we talk entirely about skid marks. In any case, crinolines rapidly rose in popularity. It was the new it trend. Women were outdoing each other for largest hoop size with reported measurements of six meters. So are roughly 19 feet plus. What? Yeah. Over 19 feet in diameter. Oh, the mutilating possibilities when you're dragging an unyielding (laughs) 19 foot death trap around your body all day. Female factory workers were maimed or killed when their crinolines got caught in machinery. Ah. There are accounts of strong gusts of wind catching the skirt, which is essentially at that size a giant umbrella, and tossing the crinoline wearer about. Perhaps the lady was merely blown to another spot in the field in which she was picnicking a short distance away. That's a nice story. Yeah, it's like the Mary Poppins method of transportation. Right. Or maybe she was blown off her lawn and into the path of a passing horse-drawn carriage. (laughs) There's those skid marks again. Yeah, this definitely comes back to poop at that point. (laughs) I did find some accounts of women getting swept off of piers by the wind because of their enormous skirts. Mm -hmm. So like a beautiful parasol, they would glide on the breeze. So dainty. And then sink like a stone beneath the waves. Oh. Do you think that's how the lobster cage was invented? It would even come pre-stocked with bait. Ooh. Can we stuff that rib cage with lobster rolls? Now I want a lobster roll. Hey, if they're gonna eat us, we can eat them right back. So the wind gust crinoline combination sounds pretty gnarly, and that's definitely not how I want to go if I have any say in the matter. But even worse, even more lethal and terrifying, arguably, than the wind gust crinoline method of execution, was the fire crinoline combination, which accounted for 3,000 deaths in England alone. And we're just talking about the decade of the 1860s. That's a lot. Yeah. So I'm thinking, like, with population levels back then being lower than modern figures, I can't help but wonder what percentage of England's population of ladies this may have been. All of them. Yeah, I mean, 3,000 in a decade. sounds disproportionately like a lot. The way these women would meet their makers wearing these crinolines 
involves getting too close to an open flame with a massive steel cage around their waists, which was covered in what? Large swaths of highly flammable fabric. Now remember, cotton is a highly flammable fabric. Cotton was used instead of asbestos for simulating fake snow on movie sets back in the day, which is like a whole topic for another time. But the reason they used asbestos instead of the cotton, because it was less flammable. That's just a little death party fact for you. When you're at a party and you want to talk about death. Now, of course, we're talking about an era where open fireplaces were pretty common because you needed to heat your home before electricity. Right, because you could also freeze to death. You could also freeze to death. So, yeah, 3,000 deaths from crinoline actually kind of sounds reasonable when you put it into that context. In fact, in 1858, the New York Times reported three deaths per week due to crinoline's catching fire. What? That's mm. crazy. Yeah. And in case you're still not convinced, the tragic demise of death by crinoline fire befell the likes of two, not one, but two, of Oscar Wilde's half-sisters. And uh, I read varying accounts, anywhere from 1,800 to 2,500 churchgoers Whoa. on a December evening in 1863. A fire broke out at the Santiago Chile Church when one crinoline wearer got too close to a candle. She wasn't the only crinoline wearer in the church. Can't take these ladies anywhere. No. I mean, you shouldn't take these ladies anywhere. Because <laughs> they're just not all gonna fit. That's the end of part one of our fashion episode. Be sure to check out part two, where we go toe-to-toe -to -toe with fatal footwear, killer chemicals and clothes, and other spooky surprises. Thanks for sticking with us until the bitter end of this episode. We really appreciate you listening, and remember, Death Party loves you!